Well, I know that today is a cold and snowy day, but I want you to think back to warmer times. I want you to think back to hot summer days, to days when it, when it actually feels good to go swimming. And I, I want you to think, when you go swimming or when you've gone swimming, how do you get in the water? Are you a splasher or an incher? Now, some people are splashers. They get in the water as fast as they can. If they're at a pool, they just jump right in. If they're at a lake, they might run in until it's deep enough to dive under the surface. They might jump off the dock like these guys are doing, but they just get in as quick as they can. And often kids fall into this category. But how many of you would say, yeah, I'm more of a splasher, when it, or I was when I was younger? Okay. Now, others are inchers. Inchers get into the water as slowly as possible. We get in an inch at a time and then just kind of let everything adjust. And then one more inch and then adjust to that and then another inch. Sometimes inchers are even content to let others enjoy the water without them. They just stay on the shore. And I confess that I tend to be an incher. Any fellow inchers out there? Okay, yeah. You know, I'll get in, and sometimes if it's cool water, I'll get in about to my knees or a little higher, and they'll just stop, because going further just kind of gets uncomfortable, and I don't need that. Uh, sometimes I'll just sit on the edge of the pool with my feet hanging in, or I'll stay wading in the shallow part of the lake. Generally speaking, I'm an incher, but I remember one time in particular that I was a splasher. Uh, this was about 15 years ago. My girls were eight and six years old. And one Monday in July, I took them blackberry picking. We went to a place about 45 minutes away from my house, and I don't remember how hot it was, but it was in Reading in July, so if it wasn't in the hundreds, I know it was in the upper 90s. And because we were blackberry picking, we were wearing long pants and long sleeve shirts, and so after a couple hours of picking, we were really hot and sweaty. But fortunately, I had planned ahead, and I made sure that we all wore bathing suits under our blackberry picking clothes because there's a lake on the way home. We stopped at that lake, and when we got to the beach, we all tore off that outer, laying as, outer layer of clothing as quickly as possible. We ran into the lake, we splashed on in, and it was great. It was cool, but not cold. It was refreshing. It was fun. On that day, I was really glad that I was a splasher. When it comes to how people engage with Scripture, I think folks tend to fall into one of these same kind of categories of being inchers or splashers. Some people inch into Scripture. They read little bits at a time. They may even find that a little bit tides them over for quite a while. They stop before it gets too uncomfortable. They may even be content to let other people enjoy Scripture without them. Of course, other people are splashers. They dive right in, they jump in, they can't get enough, they consistently read Scripture and meditate on it, and, and, and they, they've, they've splashed on in. Friends, today I want to encourage us all to become splashers when it comes to how we engage with God's Word. And a key verse for us this morning is Colossians 3.16, or at least the first part of it here. There we go. Uh, this is so short, I'd love for us to read this out loud Together, So Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right, let's try that again. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that's so short, I bet we could memorize it. So let's read it one more time out loud. 
Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, now do it with your eyes closed. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right, well done. So Paul here is commanding the Colossians, and he expects that it's going to be their experience that this will happen, that the word will dwell in them richly. Now let me ask you, has that been your experience when it comes to Scripture? Has it dwelt in you richly? Now for some of us, the answer would certainly be yes. I mean, this is something that is available to us. It's attainable by God's grace. Some of us would say, yes, I know what it means for the word to dwell in me richly. But for others, I think the answer would probably be no, or at least this hasn't been your consistent experience. And that is really a tragedy because what Paul is talking about here is so vital and so important. I think one reason why people are inchers instead of splashers when it comes to Scripture is because they tried it. They tried to get into Scripture and it didn't work for them. And so they've, they've never really felt like they can engage, like they're just not getting it. And, and when that's the case, we're missing out on so much. You know, we often think about getting into Scripture, but Paul here turns that around and talks about the word getting into us. You know, it's like when you come inside on a cold day and you come into a cup of hot soup or a mug of hot chocolate. It's delicious and it's warm. And even though we know it's just going to our stomach, it feels like it's going to every part of our body. That hot soup somehow thaws numb and frozen fingers and toes. It gets into us and it produces an effect. And that's meant to be our experience with Scripture, that as it gets into us, it would produce an effect in us. You know, we can't be the kind of people God's called us to be. We can't be the kind of disciples of Jesus that we're meant to be without Scripture. Scripture's meant to get into us and produce that effect in us to make us who God wants us to be. When Paul here says, let the word dwell in you richly, that word richly means in full measure. The idea is that we want all of Scripture in all of us to make us all that God wants us to be. Does the word dwells in us richly, it'd be all of Scripture going into all of us to make us who God wants us to be, to produce that effect in us. This is possible, but how does it actually happen? As we look at what Paul says about the word in Colossians, I want to suggest four approaches to Scripture that will help this happen, that will help it dwell in us richly. But before I get to those uh, approaches, I want to make sure that we've got the right perspective as we come to this. Because often when we talk about Scripture, we talk about what we do to it. We read it, we study it, we memorize it, we, we apply it. And, and that's not bad, that's good to think of doing those things with Scripture as long as we don't think that we are going to control Scripture. It's actually interesting that when the Bible talks about itself, it talks about it doing stuff to us. Hebrews 4.12 says it pierces us like a sharp sword. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says it teaches, rebukes, corrects, trains, and equips us. Here in Colossians 3.16, it dwells in us richly. We, we actually have a tension in this verse that, that the Word does something in us, but we're supposed to let it do that. And let it here does, is not passive. It doesn't simply mean don't resist it. This actually captures a verb mood in Greek that's imperative. This must happen. Make sure the word dwells in you richly. 
The word dwells in us and produces an effect, but we have a role to play in making sure that that happens. So that's why I want to think about approaches to Scripture. Not that we're doing something to Scripture to get out of it what we want, but that we're approaching Scripture in such a way that we're making sure that it can dwell in us richly and produce the effect that God wants it to produce in us. So we're talking about these approaches. How can we make sure that the Word dwells in us richly? The first approach is that we've got to approach it in Christ. We've got to approach it seeing Christ as the point of Scripture. Scripture points to Jesus. Paul's clear about this in Colossians. In chapter 1, 25 through 27, it says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So do you you see Paul's train of thought there? He's talking about the Word of God, which includes this mystery, which is Christ in you. Connection from the Word to mystery to Christ. Uh, Even in Colossians 3.16, it's the Word of Christ that's to dwell in us richly. And that doesn't just mean the message about Christ. It's the Word that has Christ as the point of it. This is emphasized elsewhere in Scripture, that Scripture points to Jesus. As uh, Paul came to Thessalonica, we see this in Acts 17. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. But he did this from the Scriptures. The Scriptures point to Jesus. Jesus himself said this on the road to Emmaus. He says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Scripture points to Jesus. And it's necessary that we understand this as we come to scripture. Otherwise, we're in danger of misunderstanding and misapplying it. If we want it to dwell in us richly, to produce the effect it's meant to produce... We've got to understand that it points to Jesus. It's like those those 3D posters that used to be popular, where when you looked at them the right way, the dolphin or the spaceship or whatever it was would jump off the page at you. It's meant to be that way when we come to Scripture, that as we look at Scripture and all of Scripture, Old and New Testaments, Genesis to Revelation, that we would see Jesus on every page. We'd see him as the point of Scripture. We, we, We want to approach it in Christ to see Christ as a point. You know, the, for the Colossians, they had false teachers that had, that had come into Colossae and were trying to get their focus on all sorts of other things. They're saying, you got to care about these legalistic rules. you got to pay attention to these special religious ceremonies. You, you've got to uh, hear about my visions of angels that I've seen. All these other things. And so Paul in Colossians, time and time again, brings their focus back to Christ. It's all about Jesus. That's so important for us because we live in a world full of distractions that try to get our focus off of Jesus. And even when it comes to reading and understanding Scripture, so many people have agendas that have nothing to do with seeing Jesus. There are people that come to Scripture just looking to find uh, backing for their preconceived notions. People come to Scripture trying to get leverage to coerce people into doing what they want. 
Some people come to Scripture just looking for something to offend them and upset them. And so we want to swim against the current of our culture and keep Jesus as the focus, as the center, as we just sang, to put Christ first, as our motto says, and do that in everything, including and especially when we come to Scripture, that we approach it in Christ, we see Jesus as the point of the Scriptures. It's necessary to do if we want the Word to dwell in us richly. We approach it in Christ, and we approach it, secondly, as truth. The Word of God is true, and Paul emphasizes this in Colossians. In Colossians 1, 5, and 6, he refers to it as the Word of truth, and he also refers to it as God's grace in all its truth. See, the the false teachers were coming into Colossae, and they're trying to convince the believers there that other things were true. And so Paul's got to redirect them and say, no, the message you proclaimed, heard proclaimed in the gospel, that what you see in Scripture, that is what is true. It's true. The Colossians needed to know that's what's true. And friends, it matters for us that we understand that the Bible is true. What it says about God, what it says about us, what it says about right and wrong, what it says about the world around us is true. Now, some parts of Scripture are hard to understand. We'll come to passages that are confusing that might at first glance go, how is that true? And so sometimes we've got to dig in a little bit. We take some effort to understand what's being said. We've got to look at things like what, what genre is this passage? What, what type of literature is it? We've got to think about historical context and cultural context. But we do all that not to find excuses for why that passage isn't true, but we use those as tools to understand how it is true, to make sure that we're, meaning, we're understanding the meaning of it and understanding it. And we do that precisely because it's true. If it weren't true, we wouldn't have to put the effort into it. But because it is true, we want to make sure that we understand it. The Bible is true, and that means it has authority in our lives. Issues of truth are always connected to issues of authority. Uh, Because the Bible is true, it it has a demand on us. And think about it. For example, think of what Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Peter says in Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. If that is true, that Jesus is the only way to God, well then, that means something for us. There's a demand on our life because of that. We can deny that, we can ignore that, or we can align to that truth, but it has a demand on our lives. Not not to mention all that the Bible says about what's right and what's wrong. If what the Bible says about what's wrong is really true, then then there's a responsibility on us to do something about that. We're either going to align to that truth about what's right and wrong, or we're going to be in rebellion against it. But it has authority in our lives. Part of why it's tricky for us to keep this straight in our heads as we come to Scripture is because we live in a culture that has problems with truth. You know, we're used to hearing language of everyone has their own truth, you got to live your truth, this is my truth, this is your truth. But the idea of objective truth, something that's true everywhere for everyone no matter what, that's not such a popular idea these days. Which is probably why our culture also has an issue with authority. Rebellion almost feels like an authentically American quality, for better, sometimes for worse. In fact, I think it's become a very common way that people get out from doing whatever an authority tells them to do is just to deny that what that person is saying is true. I don't have to do what you say because what you're saying isn't true. You're just making it up. 
It's all fake, and then that gives us an out, and I have to obey that authority. So no wonder when we come to Scripture that it can be a challenge, and it takes some intentionality to keep this straight, that the Word of God is true, and as such, it has authority in our life. Think again to how people get into the water. Splashers, in a sense, are surrendering to the lake. doesn't matter the temperature, the condition of the water, they're in. Inchers, on the other hand, are trying to control their experience with the lake. They're trying to control how much of this lake am I going to experience in this moment. Look, that's fine for getting into the water, but it doesn't work when it comes to God's Word and our relationship with Him. We can't afford to try to control Scripture. We don't sit in judgment on Scripture. Scripture sits in judgment on us. Scripture is the standard of truth. Not anyone, not anything else, not ourselves, not anything in the world around us. Scripture is true, and it's a standard for what's true. And this matters when we, when we approach it, because if we don't think it's true, then it's not going to have authority in our lives, and it's not going to be able to produce the effect and the change that God wants it to produce in us. So if we want the Word to dwell in us richly, we've got to approach it in Christ, and we've got to approach it as truth. Third, we've got to approach it attentively. Now here, again, we're coming to that tension of we're not going to try to control Scripture, but we're not passive in our approach to it. It it matters that we put some effort into understanding what Scripture is saying, that we read it attentively, that we're willing to go below the surface. Paul in Colossians 1, 6, and 7 talks about how the Colossians heard and understood the word of truth, and he says that they learned it from his co-worker Epaphras. So they understood it and they learned it. And Paul's reminding them of this because he knew that the best way for them to recognize and reject the false teaching they were being exposed to was to remember what they had understood about the gospel and about what Scripture says. It's like how art historians and art appraisers learn to recognize forgeries. They study the authentic paintings, they make them the standard, and then it's really obvious how the forgeries don't measure up. The Colossians were in danger of uncritically accepting the false teaching that was coming at them. And so Paul is reminding them, no, remember what you've understood. Remember what you've learned. Remember the truth of the gospel. Remember the truth of scripture. And they had that in them because they learned it and understood it. Folks, it matters for us that we not just hear scripture and let it wash over us. It matters that we not just read scripture as words on a page that we forget about. It matters that we understand scripture. Sometimes this means we've got to put some effort into learning it and studying it to understand what it says. And again, our culture does not help us in this because we live in a soundbite culture. We're used to, we're used to quick pieces of information. We uh, see memes on Instagram. We watch short videos on TikTok. Maybe on Facebook you might read a post a few paragraphs long, but even that feels pretty long. We, we're used to, to thinking that complicated issues can be summarized concisely. And even our news sources, we're used to our news sources um, giving us simple narratives to understand even really complex issues. We're used to them using broad categorizations and, and shorthand language as a way to help us understand what we're hearing. And not only that, but we also live in a culture that values instant gratification. We're living in the information age where pretty much anything you want to know You can know instantly, you can even just ask your phone, Siri, Google, tell me about this, and you get the information. So we're not used to having to study. 
We're not used to having to dig in to understand. And with Scripture, there's some of the meaning of Scripture that will come as we dig in, as we go below the surface, as we study. And when I talk about study here, this isn't just or even primarily an academic exercise. This is not just for people that have a seminary degree or understand Greek and Hebrew. This, this isn't for people that are academically gifted who got straight A's in school. To be frank with you, you don't even have to be that smart to do what I'm talking about. Sometimes, you know, there is this element of going to some other resource to get some information on what does Scripture mean, what's this passage talking about, but a lot of the time, it's just us being willing to read attentively and thoughtfully. Sometimes it might mean journaling about what we're reading so that we are processing it and understanding it. It always means reading Scripture, listening to God for what He wants to say to us through His Word, but it's about getting under the surface. You know, we are blessed in our day and age to have so many resources available to us to help us grow spiritually. We've got you know, dozens of Bible translations and commentaries and devotional books and apps and Christian music and Christian radio, Christian TV, Christian YouTube videos, Christian podcasts, and it truly is a blessing to have all of that, but the danger inherent in all of that blessing is that we would get used to others doing our thinking about Scripture for us. We're not meant to be nourished by pre-digested Bible truth. We're meant to get it for ourselves. And you can do this. Whether you consider yourself a scholar or not, you can do this just by taking the time to slow down when you come to Scripture, say, God, speak to me, to, to ask questions about what you're reading, to ask them to God, to journal them. If necessary, go look stuff up. But but we can understand Scripture. And if the Word is going to dwell in us richly and produce an effect in us, then it's got to get below the surface of our lives. We've got to find this way to work it in as we, as we come to Scripture attentively. So for the Word to dwell in us richly, we've got to approach it in Christ, approach it as truth, approach it attentively, and finally, to approach it together. Oh, sorry. There we go. Huh. Well... We're going to approach it together. It is the fourth point, even if it's not up there. Uh, Paul says in, in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that you there is plural. Let it dwell in all of you richly. You know, part of the problem that uh, Paul was experiencing in, um, in Colossae was that people were really prioritizing their private, subjective, spiritual experiences that they were had, that they had, and they were kind of making that the focus of their lives and of their spirituality. So people would say, I had visions of angels. I had these other spiritual experiences. And, and, um, and, and, that, and Paul's got to confront that. In fact, he says, there it is. He says in Colossians 2, such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the notions by their unspiritual mind, with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. God causes the body to grow, this body that's connected to the head, which is Jesus. When we lose connection with the head, we lose connection with the body, and we can't become who God wants us to be without that connection to Him and to the body of believers, the church. So it matters that we don't get into our own 
completely private worlds in our relationship with God, but that we're connected and that when we come to Scripture, we're coming to it together. We approach Scripture together. Paul says, let the Word dwell in you all richly. And then he goes on to say, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. There's a mutuality here that's meant to be present in our engagement with Scripture. So how do we approach Scripture together? Well, we do it... uh, we do it in this time that we have right here on Sunday mornings. Uh, we do it as we worship. A lot of the songs we sing uh, remind us of the truths of Scripture. They bring to mind stories uh, from the Word of God. They're reminding us of who God is. A lot of the songs we sing actually are exhortations to one another as we're singing and reminding each other of who God is and what He's done. We also approach the Word together uh, in the sermon Paul says in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom. So there is a place for a centralized proclamation of the word that matters. But here's the thing, we can't just approach the word together on Sundays, or we're not doing all that God tells us to do. Because he says, Paul says in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom. But then in Colossians 3.16, he says, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. It's a both and. It's not just the centralized gathered proclamation. It's not just the talking about it amongst ourselves. It's both are part of how we approach Scripture together. You know, and, and we've got to do that teaching and admonishing one another in a setting other than this. Because if we took the time to do that when we're all together, we'd be here forever. If every adult who is at chapel on an average Sunday spoke for just five minutes our services would be over nine hours long. And so, we, <laughs> so other than Dave, most of us would not uh, be able to enjoy that. And so it matters that we have other settings where we can do this. This is a big part of the point of connection groups and Bible studies, that there's a place that we can come together and teach and admonish one another as we study Scripture, as we approach the Word. And when we do this, it protects us from idiosyncratic, incorrect interpretations of Scripture. There's an accountability for how we understand Scripture when we're looking at it together. That we can come and say, I don't think I understand this. What do you guys think? What do you see here? Or if someone spouts something that we know is really off, then in love and in relationship we can say, I'm not sure that's what that means. Show me again where you, where you saw that in there. because That's not what I took away from this. Or even here's another way of looking at it. So there's a benefit to having to approaching the word together. There's accountability for how we understand it and in how we apply it, especially when we're doing this in a small group. We can say, okay, we talked about this passage, we understand it, here's what we're going to do with it. Next time we meet, you can follow up. How'd it go with what we said we were going to do? And if we want the word to dwell in us richly, this is a, 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 an important part of how we approach it, that we don't stay in our own heads, in our own worlds, in our own minds, They approach it with others. In large group gatherings and small groups, we approach the word together. What Paul says here in Colossians 3.16 can happen for us. The word can dwell in us richly. We can have all of Scripture in all of us and uh, making us all that God wants us to be. That is possible. As we cooperate with God in this, it matters that we approach Scripture in these ways, that we approach it in Christ that he's the point, he's the focus, he's what it's all about. It matters that we approach it as truth. It has authority in our lives. It matters that we approach it attentively, being willing to go below the surface 
to understand what Scripture is saying, and it matters that we approach it together. Uh, all, all of this is part of what I want to see happen in the church-wide emphasis that we're starting next week called Feast, 40 Days in God's Word. Now, I've, I've sent out an email I've been communi- or a letter and been communicating about this, but just to remind you of what this is. We're taking a season of 40 days to focus on Scripture and especially to try to establish or deepen a habit of daily engagement with Scripture. And what I mean by a daily engagement with Scripture is that every day we would read or listen to Scripture, that we would meditate on it, that we would listen to God and what He wants to say to us through it, and that we would apply it in our lives. And that would become a daily habit if it's not one already. And if you already have that happen, habit, it would, it would deepen and strengthen because we focus on it for these 40 days. Now, obviously, we're not doing it for 40 days so that on day 41 we can say, we're done, we did it. Now we don't have to read the Bible anymore. We're going after it in this focused way for 40 days, hopefully to create an effect that will last well beyond the 40 days as this habit is strengthened in our, in our lives. One of the uh, key elements of the feast is a daily commitment to read or listen to Scripture every day for the 40 days, following one of three Bible reading plans that I've provided for you. In fact, you have a bookmark uh, with those plans on your seat. You can just take a look at that. You see that one side says highlights and overview on it. And uh, the highlights plan is one chapter a day. And it's designed to give you a sampling of all the different genres of literature there are in the Bible, and also to give you a sense of the the broad storyline of Scripture. So it's one chapter a day for 40 days will give you a sense of the whole scope of Scripture. Then there's the overview plan, which is two to three chapters a day. It's uh, similar in purpose to the highlights plan. It just goes into a little more detail. But again, the idea is we're going to look at you know, all the different types of literature there are in Scripture and get a glimpse of the whole storyline of Scripture in 40 days. Now, on the other side of the bookmark, there's the whole Bible plan, which... You know, as it says, takes you through the whole Bible in 40 days. Now, that means reading like 30 chapters a day. That's a lot. Um, I honestly don't expect that this will be the plan that most people do. But if you already have a well-established habit and you're looking for a challenge, here you go. Uh, If you have or can make the time to do this, go for it. I imagine that most of us are going to choose the highlights of the overview plan. I'm going to do the overview plan. That's the one I'm doing. Uh, But we're going to do one of these plans, and um, you'll notice as you look at that closely that all three plans cover the same sections of Scripture each week. So, for example, in the first week, whether you're reading seven chapters or 17 chapters or all of all five books, we're going through Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's the same section that's being covered. A couple logistical notes on those plans. Um, Note, first of all, that the the Bible reading starts a week from tomorrow on January 15th. So I'm giving them to you today, so you have them. They'll be available next week as well. Uh, I'll email this out also, but um, it starts in eight days. So just take it now and be ready for that. Also, as you're doing your Bible reading, if you miss a day, don't try to make it up. Just get back on track the next day. The reason for that is because we're trying to establish a habit. And if you get behind a couple chapters... And then, oh, now I'm down. i got to read all those more. Now I'm down five chapters. I missed another day. Now I'm down eight. Now I'm down ten chapters. Forget it. I'm never going to catch up. We could give up. And we want to establish a habit. So if you, if you miss a day, don't worry about it. Just get back on track for the next day. 
And then later, if you want to go back and read the ones you missed, great. But just get back on track the next day so we get into that daily rhythm. Um, so that's the Bible reading plans. Now, because we're covering all the same sections each week, we're all going to be in the same part of Scripture together, it means that we can use our time together on Sunday mornings a little differently. So during the Sundays of the feast, I'm not going to be preaching a typical sermon. Uh, we're going to use our time in some other ways. One thing we're going to do is I'm going to have a couple people each Sunday share how they heard God speak to them through what they read the previous week. Now, just to be clear, I'm not going to be calling on you randomly. Uh, the people who are doing this will know ahead of time that they're doing this. But I just want us all to hear from a variety of voices of how God speaks to them through Scripture. Because the way He speaks to me may not be the way He speaks to you, but it might be the way that He's speaking through someone else. So we're going to hear from several people over the course of the seven Sundays we have about how God's speaking to them through Scripture. So we'll do that. Then I will take some time to give a preview of what we're going to be covering in the week ahead. So I'll be going over any themes that you're going to notice in the passages we'll read in the coming week. I'll talk about anything you need to know about like the, the genres of Scripture we're going to be looking at so you understand that. Anything else that just kind of would need some explanation, I'm going to try to give you a, a, a preview of that so that you have hooks to hang stuff on as you're reading those passages. I really want to overcome the barrier some might feel of I don't understand Scripture when I read it. I want it to be understandable, and so I want to give you that preview to help as we go into it. We're ready to understand what we're going to read. So I'll do that, and then I also want to answer questions that may have come up in your Bible reading from the week before. So I'm going to encourage you, as you're reading through your passages, if you have a question, uh, send me an email, and I'll make sure that my email is in the bulletin every week. Send me an email with your question, and I really want to encourage you to do this, because you know, if you have a question about something, the odds are someone else does too, and it'll be good for them to hear the answer as well. So if it's, I don't understand this, this doesn't, how does this go with something else we read, this was just confusing or strange, or whatever it is, whatever your question is, ask those questions, and I'll do my best on Sundays to answer those. So we're going uh, to read the Bible every day for 40 days. We're going to use our Sunday sermon time strategically. And then I also am going to be teaching a Bible class on Sunday afternoons starting next week. I'm calling it the deeper class. It'll be from 4.30 to 6 on Sunday afternoons. And um, this isn't going to be teaching through a passage or a book. It's more giving you tools so that when you come to Scripture, whatever part you're in, you'll be able to understand and apply it better. And uh, so this is going to be looking at things like the reliability of Scripture, historical context for the events of Scripture, cultural backgrounds of the Old and New Testament, um, the geography of Bible lands, some basic Bible study tools. And I've designed the class so that whether you have no knowledge of Scripture or whether you're super familiar with the Bible or you're somewhere in between, there's going to be something for you. I really believe you're going to benefit from this, regardless of what your starting point is when it comes to Scripture. So that's the deeper class. It's going to be Sunday afternoons. We are offering childcare during that class. I really want to make that available for everyone. So uh, we'll be offering childcare, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we are going to be uh, doing the feast with our kids and our youth as well. Know that uh, Pastor Noah has a Bible reading plan for the youth that he's going to give to them that's really synced up with what we're doing as well. The kids will be engaged. It's going to be great for the whole church to do this. And I'm going to encourage you as we're going through the feast, as you're reading Scripture, 
to use the chapel Facebook group as a place to post thoughts, insights, questions as you're reading through. So you, you read and you have a thought, just put it on that Facebook group. Others can interact with that. You have a question, what did you all think about this? Put that there. And that can be a place for us to interact about what we're reading, even you know, in between Sundays when we're together. Uh, this might be a good time to make sure you're part of the Facebook group. And uh, if you're not, join. And to like the posts that are there, because you know that lets Facebook know, I want to see things from this group when you like the posts. And so that way you'll be already up to speed when the feast starts. Also, if you're going to make, uh, if you're going to post about the feast and about what you're reading or getting out of a passage somewhere other than Facebook, use the hashtag Chapel Feast, and that way we'll be able to uh, kind of see what other people are posting. If the Facebook group and the hashtag thing went over your head, that's okay. Just read the Bible, and uh, we'll be talking about it on Sundays. It'll be great. So there you go. Uh, I I see this as something that's really important for us, and something's really significant. And so I put on, on every seat, I put a, a commitment card. That's the small three-by-five card that says feast on it at the top. And it has the place for you to give your information and then check how you're going to participate in the feast. There's a couple reasons for this. First of all, uh, making a commitment in writing solidifies it in us that this is something I'm really going to do. And I think this is a serious enough commitment that it's worth this kind of a step. So especially with the, you're going to read the scripture every day, that's honestly more for you just to make that commitment to kind of go on record saying, yes, I'm going to do this. Then also to indicate if you're going to be a part of the deeper class, again, that's good for you to decide that and commit to that. But logistically, that also helps me know how many people to prepare for. That'll kind of shape which room on campus we use and help me be prepared for that. So, um, If you know today, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to read. I'm going to be at the deeper class. Check those boxes and turn that card into the offering box on your way out. If you uh, don't know yet or you want to give it some more thought and prayer, do that. You have a chance to do this again next week. But but when you know this is I'm going to participate, I encourage you to make that commitment and let me know how you're going to participate. I'm also going to say for the deeper class, um, because it's starting next Sunday... This would be maybe for, more for the folks watching at home. Uh, you don't have that card. You're not able to turn it in. But you could uh, reach out to the church office, reach out to me, and say, hey, I'm going to come to the deeper class. I'm going to need child care, and that'll help me be well prepared for you so that uh, when we get into next Sunday, we're, we're ready for that. So that can be part of your response today is to, uh, if you're ready, make that commitment, return that card, and say, yes, this is what I'm going to do. You know, my, my hope for the feast and beyond is that we can be a church full of people in whom the word richly dwells. That we can be those who are not content just to wade in the shallows, but to dive in and get under the surface into God's word. That that we can get all of scripture into all of us so that it'll make us all that God wants us to be. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of a church where that was really the case? Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church full of people who are in whom the word is richly dwelling. Wouldn't it be amazing for us to be that kind of a community? That's what I want us to uh, discover together. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. I'll invite the worship team to come back and lead us in, in worship as, before we close the service. But I just want to pray for us as we reflect on what we've talked about today. Lord, we are so grateful that you are a God who speaks to us. You reveal yourself to us. Thank you that you want to communicate with us, and we're so grateful 
for the revelation that you've given us in your word in Scripture. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you were at work over centuries inspiring human authors to produce something that's beyond what they could have done on their own, that's the true word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have preserved your word through the centuries, through the millennia, so that we have it before us now, that we can read what you spoke and hear you speak it into our lives today. So we're grateful, Lord, and we want to engage with your word. We don't want to be those who inch in to your word or approach it tentatively or with any sense of control, but we want to jump in wholeheartedly into your word and all that you want to say to us through it. And Lord, we want to do that in the feast, yes, but Lord, I pray that that would just be an intensification of what is always true, that we are engaging with your word, that we're hearing you speak, that we're meditating on what you say, and that we're applying it to our lives. May that be the case, Lord, for each of us. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Chapel family, I bless you in the name of Jesus with an unveiling of the depths of the riches of God and what he has for you. I, I bless you as Paul prayed for the Ephesians that your, the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would be able to grasp the depth and width the breadth of God's love for you, his grace for you, his mercy for you, his presence in your life, and his power in your life. May you be blessed with an awareness of the greatness of God as you spend time in his word this week and as you listen to his whispers in your heart. Chapel family, as we go from this place, we are blessed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Bless you.